0: Like Dropbox, I'm just having an existential crisis. Welcome to Tradeoffs, where product habits Heaton Shaw and Wells Patrick Campbell discuss tech through a product-first mindset to inspire you to think differently. This week, they talk about organizational maturity.
1: Part of it is giving them people opportunities. Part of it is being direct when they need to hear something.
0: Finding the moat. I think the thing that we're missing is Microsoft. Acquisition news and the market paradigm shift. This is the type of stuff that I just find so dumb. Like, I know it's not dumb. I just find it so dumb. And
1: much more. I, I want to believe you. I want to agree with you, but I completely disagree.
0: Welcome back to Tradeoffs. What's Another up? episode this week. How you doing, Heaton? How's life?
1: Well, living the dream, as always. I, I, I You know, someone, someone in some chat was talking about being happy or something like that. And, and they're like, Heaton's always happy. I'm like, I just make the choice to be happy all kinds of messed up stuff's going on all the time. I just make it a choice.
0: <laughs> that was like the best Instagram ad. You're an influencer now. That's great.
1: <laughs> I like it. Well, there you go. Will you like will it. you buy like my it. mindfulness course now?
0: I will buy your mindfulness course especially now that you have the man bun. Um, yep. And it's a the man beard's pony, gone. man bun. I think the I beard would know. have would have increased your willingness to pay probably, but right. that's okay.
1: Right. I also have the One Up shirt, the Mario Brothers One Up sweatshirt today, just there you for go. you. Right. I Give like you that. Some one Up action. I like that.
0: I need a little One Up today. I'm having a terrible day. Why? I don't know what's why. going on. I'm not. I, no. You know what? It's funny. I'm going to choose not to have a terrible day. I'm having a fun day. Good. It's just one of those long days where, like, you feel like you're making incremental progress, but it doesn't feel like you're making. Full progress, so it just doesn't feel as good, and then just lots of alignment conversations. Heaton, you know alignment. We those, love those, alignment. Those
1: are those are fun. Learn to love those. I I I, you know my my days like like yours are usually I'm in one of those right now as well. It's a little different than mm. yours, but mine is actually waiting on engineering, mm. which is which is my my least favorite way to be patient. Yeah, which is waiting on engineering. And it's nothing bad. It's always good stuff because it's roadmap and features and product work and customer work. And it's all about the customer, of course. But that's like the bane of my existence is waiting on engineering to finish something or even get something started or scale something or fix a bug or whatever. Uh, Not to harp on that, but that is a thing for me at least.
0: Yeah. I think mindset is so crucial because like it's kind of funny like waiting on engineering i don't really feel like that's not definitely not mine right now i think mine's like a mixture of i have a i have a group of like younger folks i'm working with more so than i was previously and it's a different type of patience like i can have really good pa- i'm not i'm not the most patient person just in general but like i can have patience for like engineering or something like that it's it's like patience of oh like you just don't know like no one's explained this to you before. And that's like a weird type of patience. Cause you have to remember, cause sometimes you want to be like, how do you not know this? But that doesn't help. Like you don't, if you saying that like does not, like I would never say, maybe in a past, you know, number of years ago, I probably would say that just in a, not in a jerkish way, but just in a like, you know, I don't understand way, but now it's like, Oh, like I need to have some patience here to like explain this, and, like walk through it because no one's ever explained it to you before. And that's, you know that's not your fault, or by any means. I think it's like a, a high patience period right now, which is, which is tough because I'm not used to that. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I have I have a take on stuff like that. I think, you know, I was talking to my favorite manager, who works with me. He's our head of engineering at FYI, and uh, he we got introduced by a mutual friend uh, who was his manager um, a few times over. And I was like, oh, is that like your favorite manager? And he's actually like, no. And I'm like, really? Like you, you work with this guy like three or four times like or two or three or whatever. And he introduced us. So he must be your favorite manager, right? Because like I've been working with Steve as his name for 10 years after this mm. intro and across about three or four different companies, probably seven, eight products. He's like, no, that guy that introduced us, even though I worked with him multiple times was not what I would consider the best manager I ever had. And he was great because I kept working with him. but And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well- The best manager I had was earlier in my career and I learned the most by working with this manager because that manager actually told me things directly Mm. and I had the most personal growth and career growth there and then before I met the other guy that introduced him and I, right? And he basically said the other guy who we both have such strong positive vibes and feelings for, would basically cover a lot of that stuff around basically things that he should know organizationally or that sort Mm -hmm. of directness. And so examples of that would be like, how do you say something to executives? You know, if great manager would get him to do it and teach him and coach him, the the good manager would cover for him and just deal with it. Just do it. Right. And so part of it is giving them people opportunities. Part of it is being direct when they need to hear something like really quickly. And it goes back to something I think we talked about a, a few, a few episodes ago, which was oriented around stories and narrative. Yeah. So to me, it's like, there's all these narratives that are playing around. I don't look at it like organizational, like, like, like age as in like someone's age. I look at it more like organizational maturity. Are they mature to operate in an organization in an environment? Like we, we had uh, someone on our team that actually gracefully exited the company because he wasn't going to scale We all knew it and Mm. it was just a matter of time. And one of the things that really came to mind for me is like, as a company scales, someone doesn't have necessarily the, an organizational maturity might not be the right word or way to frame it, but they don't have the capacity to deal with a larger organization. And and some people just get trained and get taught it as they come in. If they're younger and, and kind of have great managers, some people get cover because of the culture of the company or the way that the manager operates. None of this is good or bad. It's just experiences. Different.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so I just think of it as how mature are they organizationally? And I find some young people to be extremely mature organizationally beyond even like people double their age, honestly. And that just has to do with their own attitude and upbringing and also your company culture and do they fit into it? Because there's a lot of company cultures that are organizationally, if you looked at it from an organizational behavior standpoint, very immature, despite size and scale and all that, because maybe they got product market fit and turned into a rocket ship really fast, for example. So things are just breaking all the time. You're hiring really quickly and just figuring it out as you go, just like everybody else. But with this growth in front of you and behind you that you have, it's much harder to kind of be thoughtful about some of this stuff because you're just moving so fast. So anyway, there's, there's a bunch of, to unpack it, I think it's organizational maturity that I would kind of think through for every individual.
0: I think for me, it's really hard. I'm not a coverer, if that makes sense. Like there's things that I'll just like do for someone if they're struggling with it, but it's typically after a cycle or two. I'm more of the, like, let me over explain to the point that you didn't ask for because I would want someone to do that so i can learn right and this group is moving from a person who did a lot of covering i think just given our metaphor to someone who me who's like oh like let me explain like why the deck is this way let me explain like why this is like how you should think about this let me explain like how you should you know present or at least the underpinnings like it's it's a little bit less of like do this and it's more of like the why or the thought process and I think people appreciate that. I've gotten some feedback that they like appreciate because they're working with Peter and I and Peter and I are very similar in this way of kind of explaining the why and I think that that helps that helps level up because we've historically had really good success taking people from raw talent to like, you know, leading stuff because I think it's because we explain the why so much. It's really interesting because sometimes you do need to cover just for scale because it's just like we don't have time to get into the nitty-gritty. We just got to go. Um, and sometimes I think that's something that holds us back a bit, which is like, we try to be too clever. We try to be too strategic. We try to think through things too much rather than just going, which is more of like a covering mentality, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I I think there's a lot of different styles here. And my favorite is just like, might be slightly different than how you think about it today, which is optimizing my approach as a manager or leader in the company, especially when it's one-on-one with somebody or even a team oriented around what that team needs and how they think about learning yeah. and uh, absorbing information. I try to figure that 100%. out and, and do my best to adapt my style. I'm typically looking for people that either, for myself at least, self-directed, read between the lines and also at the same time understand that like, if they are blocked and I can do anything about it, I will do it. So yeah. then they're coming to me when they're blocked. And that allows me to honestly coach them if what they're coming to me with, they don't need to. But I don't necessarily do it by saying, hey, don't come to me with that. I just do it by giving them an answer really quickly. And if they need an explanation, I'll give it if they ask more, but it's that openness for me of like, you're blocked. Let me know. Cause you shouldn't be blocked ever. If it's on me yeah. to help you with that, or if it's an organizational thing, I think this dovetails into a bunch of different areas in general, though. I like unblocking people. That's my style at least.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's super important too. Like there was definitely a point in our trajectory where I I was unblocking too many people and therefore ironically would block people because there just weren't enough hours. Right? Like, and I think that's where like building the structure, but also leveling up certain people or bringing on different people like helps do that. I think what gets really interesting is like training people to raise their hands when they are blocked or when they see something wrong or not necessarily wrong, but just like something that's like, Oh, this could be better. That's the one thing I'm finding too, is I'm, I'm, I'm on, I'm (laughs) on, uncovering a number of rocks of like, oh, um, that thing should have, like no one said anything. Hey, why didn't anyone say anything? Oh, we didn't we didn't know. And it's like moving to a place of like proactivity versus reactivity, which is, you know, super tough for some folks sometimes, um, especially in the early on in their career. And they're, they're, there's a lot of like, I don't wanna like rock the boat. And it's like, no, the people who rock the boat in a healthy way are the ones that are actually the most successful. Um, because they're, they're the ones who, you know, you can trust to raise their hands to trust, to like, see things differently, those types of things. I'm actually curious, like who is your best manager? You don't have to say the name if you don't want to, but like, who is your best manager and like, how did you, or why were they your best manager ever?
1: I've never been managed except once. <laughs> That's so true. I was about to say, about myself, I was like, I'm pretty sure a, it was, yeah, it was, it, it was an internship in high school at a medical devices company called Mossimo. I have their stock because uh, my dad got it early and he hooked me up with the internship in high school and I've never had a job since officially where I, I That's great. had a manager. So I don't have good experiences being managed because I haven't had any. I don't have bad ones either. Uh, I, I help people with these usually, uh, ironically. Um, I, I really believe in people managing up and controlling their own destiny and their own career, so to speak, in, in the workplace. Uh, and the other thing I believe that I learned a lot from... This guy, Steve, that I mentioned, who's our head of engineering at FYI, this idea of working yourself out of a job, he wrote a Medium blog yeah. post about it, I think back in 2015. I, I just thoroughly believe in his approach to doing that because he's been, able, he came in as like a some kind of analyst, engineer angel, analyst, even though he was much more senior. And then he, he worked his way all the way up, so to speak, worked himself out of the job, actually, all the way to VP of product and engineering or head of product and engineering at Kissmetrics before kind of he left. So, I learn a lot from him. I've learned a lot from him. I met, he's, he's a little bit older than me by a few years. And I was definitely, uh, in my late, uh, twenties, uh, when I met him. Yeah. He's taught me a lot. We were also talking the other day and and I was like, oh, so like, let me know if you ever feel like you're managing up to me. And he basically said, our working relationship will be over if I ever feel like I'm managing up to you. And that's that's his (laughs) attitude about it. So it was just an interesting thing. And, uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure what he means by that, but I'll, I'll take it.
0: <laughs> Best manager I ever had was this guy named Duran Dewin. He was at Google. He was like a like part of the orgs management. He's now, I think he's head of L and D at Stripe. Actually, his boss's boss was Claire Hughes Johnson at Google, and then I think when she went to Stripe, she like brought a bunch of fun folks. Um, I think he like led People Ops at Eventbrite for a while too. So he's. It was just kind of funny because he. He was the manager that everyone was like, oh, you don't want Durand as a manager. And being this kid out of like school or like a year out of school, I was like, why? And they were all like, well, people who report to him don't get promoted. And so being this like young, hungry kid, I was like, oh, I want to get promoted. Like, oh, crap. I got Durand as my manager. But in looking back, like he was the best manager because his management style wasn't like numbers. It was more like it was about you as a human and like what helps you get your best work. Like what's going to help you get your best work how do i unblock you how do i help you get your best work so it was like actually some of the best management you know in hindsight that i've, I've ever had um i don't think i appreciated it at the time because I, I was like oh it's not about the spreadsheets and like the work and these types of things it's just like the spreadsheets are important don't get me wrong but it's like it's a very short-term way of thinking about someone who reports to you i think because that person has to like get momentum they have to compound and the only way you do that is by helping them get like level up and get their best work so yeah, it's interesting management's hard
1: I, I, i'm i'm in the best work camp for sure
0: yeah well i think it's the right best move
1: work best work dream job i think those things are important especially yeah. at smaller companies and being able to invest in someone in that way and also have that investment back from them is super yeah. huge
0: 100 percent. all right man awkward transition time you want to talk about these sure. acquisitions that just happened
1: Yeah. And these funding,
0: these funding rounds, like there's, there's so many things that happened this week. We got (laughs) off zero. Let's start with
1: the funding. Let's start with the funding rounds. Let's go for the funding rounds. Let's do it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So funding rounds, we got vendor raising 60 on a $600 million valuation. We have pipe that just announced, I think another 50 million, uh, to be the NASDAQ of recurring revenue. We got, what was the other one? Main street, they raised a crap ton of money. Yeah, a lot of lot of funding going on. Two of the three have pricing models. Main Street: the pricing model is basically they get you the government grants, they take you a cut of the money they get you. Vendor: they basically do negotiations and you know kind of cost management of the software you buy. They take a one to two percent cut of the savings they get you. Um, Pipe is a little bit different. They're they're more like selling. You are know, you're, you're like buying your assets, your subscriptions as assets on a marketplace. Um, yeah. Fascinating, fascinating week. Crazy valuations. I, I I know all three of the leadership teams, so I want to say that they're worth it. But I also don't know if they're worth it just based on like how much froth is in the market. But I don't know. What's your take on these three?
1: I mean, as a founder, I'm super excited and happy that people are raising massive rounds and massive valuations based on some level of product market fit and growth. Like th- these are all based on growth, right? Yep. Even Hopin, let's go throw Hopin in the mix. Yeah, That's also based on growth, right? So, you know, th- but the interesting thing about the three that you mentioned, Vendor, Pipe, and Main Street, they're all basically services businesses that are extremely software, software enabled. You could say disguised if you want, depending on how the economics on the back end work out. Right. Because if the economics are not software multiple, I'm sorry, software margins, the math doesn't work out that way, then yeah, it is in disguise. Now, if they are software margins are better, they're service backed software. Right. Or whatever new term people want to come up with for that. But all three are basically that they do something on your behalf that you can't do alone without time by somebody, human time, not software time. And yeah. and I think human time versus software time is interesting. So these are almost like, I don't know what the inside looks like on how they scale, but if I were to just guess, uh, pipe is business development, pure function that needs to scale. Obviously there's a lot of data plays and things like that, but at the end of the day, it's BD, business development. It's basically helping you find finance options. And that's usually a business development style role. Vendor is actually more of like, traditional consulting style services, um, but oriented around one specific use case where it's about negotiating contracts. I consider that agency service style thing. Obviously it's not Mm. a a great proxy, but inside of a company, you'd have to do it yourself since they are, they have all these vendor relationships now because they're managing. I don't even know. I don't know what the numbers are, but billion or whatever it is of SaaS subscription revenue basically Uh, on the behalf of the company buying from these vendors, um, they are the intermediary. They're basically sitting there doing procurement. It's procurement as a service Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, right? Um, But it's a service, not a software at, at, at the offset. And then last but not least, Main Street. The second Main Street says they have 16 million in recurring revenue or whatever the number is, an ARR, Everybody that I've seen in the threads jumps on them and says, can you explain how that's actually recurring revenue? Mm, And and that again points to how, oh, it's another services business. They're negotiating on your behalf. So in some ways, all three are negotiating on your behalf, basically. And I find that really, 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 really fascinating um, because they aren't just pure play software.
0: Any amount of service, it boosts your lifetime value ability pretty significantly because it feels like even if there's not a human involved, there's some sort of magic involved that my time isn't going to be able to fill, even if I have the hours. Cause even if you look at main street, it's like, it's, it's the, it's the disconnect on like, well, I know about R and D tax credits. Yeah. But do you know about this tax credit and that tax credit and that tax credit, right? Like, it's like, Oh, I'm not going to like read the right content in order to stay, stay abreast of those things. Same thing with like vendor. It's like oh, there must be some special sauce here about like how they do procurement, and then as they get more procurement, they get better compounding value because they know the right people to talk to in different places, and they get the vendor deal right. So yeah, it just it gets it gets interesting. Pipe is I think I think the most fascinating one because they're trying to like shift a paradigm basically on multiple levels. They're trying to shift a finance paradigm and a financing paradigm uh, for different companies, and so I think that's the one that is like the most complicated. Um, maybe not from a product perspective, but just from a like mindset shift perspective, which gets interesting when you start to see family offices give hardcore valuations, mainly because of a subscription element, meaning, and that's not with any of these three folks, it's easy to imagine. We don't have to worry about, oh my gosh, this is a service, or this is a service kind of like film on the top of a raising situation. So that's why I think that a lot of these folks were able to kind of break through is because this this whole notion of like old school VC of, you know, 10 years ago, like, it's, or even five, it's got to look like this, this, and this is starting to fall to the wayside a little bit. And there's more creativity on like, well, where's the money actually coming from?
1: Well, a lot of the software as a service pure plays are taken, the low hanging fruits taken. Um, that's true. And so, and so there's a lot more you have to do to provide enough value that you're either differentiated or can keep growing. Uh, as a SaaS business. So these are now flipped upside down and I would say they're service as a software. They're not software as a service. So it looks like software, it it feels like software to the customer, but it's really a service. I know, it's the new SaaS. I like that. Um, I think the new new
0: SaaS is a good way to put it. I
1: like that. It's the new SaaS. You know, it's like the cutting edge. If you're SaaS, this is the new SaaS. I I wanted to say one thing about moats. I think Main Street has the weakest moat out of all of these so far and they need to develop a moat uh just from a product standpoint, if all they're doing is negotiating tax credits and I don't know what happens next. Again, I don't know the business. I don't know the founders. I don't know anything yeah. except I want to know what happens next. Vendor, I think has a great moat because it's the relationships with every single SaaS provider at scale and then them managing the spend from these yeah. companies. They have control, they have visibility, they have access, they have tons that they can grow into and gain as, as, and the moat is strong. And then I think pipes, current scale, I don't know, but over time, like you said, it's one of the more interesting ones because the vision is to disintermediate something really meaningful, which is how companies are capitalized. Right. And then we talked about the gray area in in between venture funding and self-funding not existing and this thing being the, probably the right way to fill it. Yeah.
0: I got to be careful because I don't know if they have announced this yet, but the, there's a lot let me just put it this way there's a lot of regulatory legal things with pipe that if you were to like start that business today would take five to ten years to get that they presumably are going to have or already do have like quicker if that makes sense so i think that's a big moat
1: actually it's, and as it's you, very much very much like angel list in, in that sense
0: yeah there's a reason there's so many institutions, like, you know, in terms of like Salesforce, HubSpot, et cetera, like flooding into it. And then they also have like the hardcore institutions on the finance side, Goldman, Morgan Stanley, BlackRock, like starting to look at it. It it just gets really interesting. Um, and they're dealing with people or entities where 80 million to Goldman is like nothing, right? Like 80 million to invest in something like that's worth That's probably like the minimum, you know, to like start something up. Um, So it just gets, it gets really interesting. And I think they're, if if they can get the paradigm to shift, they probably have the best moat, but I think Ryan at vendor probably has a really good moat just because there's just every, there's a network effect of every time he gets more purchasing power underneath his, his, um, you know, belts, it just gets more, more and more powerful.
1: You can see that happening. That's the challenge I'd have for main street, which is like, what do you do next? Where's the moat? How do you build a massive business off of where you started. I'm sure they have ideas, but that's like where my head is when I think of that idea, because they're not the only ones. There's a bunch of companies that have been doing that for much longer than them. They just happen to be have the, I would say, the tech tailwind today, while the other ones never got the tech tailwind, probably because of who started them, who's funding them. It is them. recurring yeah. to a
0: certain extent, though, right? Because I can get those R&D tax credits each year, no?
1: To a certain I look point. at it kind of like, in a way, I look at it kind of like DevOps. In a really weird way. So you hire, so every time I've done this, it's worked. You hire, you're kind of doing it. You know you have wastage and breakage when you use AWS or Google Cloud or Azure. Sure. You hire a DevOps person at some scale. We hire them earlier than most people would for one simple reason. You hire the person, you break even on the person within 30 days. As, as long as you're at a certain scale with your AWS spend. Even if like, you haven't really screwed anything up. Very few engineering teams have DevOps built in from a price yeah. optimization standpoint, right? Cost optimization. That's smart. I like that. So, so, so that's DevOps, right? So with Main Street and the tax credits and the way they do it and the R&D credits, it's a matter of like, how easy is it to pull them out, do it in-house and then make up for whatever you're paying them. That, so the problem with that business is there's a calculation. I don't know when that calculation happens for a company and how that's going to play out because this tax credits as a service type thing is a newer thing, um, at least in my experience. So, mm. if so, for example, if I hire a head of legal, if I hire a head of finance, they're going to try to rip that thing out because I'm probably going to tell them to rip that thing out because it's costing me money, even though it's saving me money or sure. making me money or whatever. So legal and finance will come in and try to do their jobs. And I think within some amount of time, they'll be able to replace that and maybe even make up for their salaries right in those roles so right now there's ideas like main street that are a information arbitrage and the challenge for something like main street in my opinion and again i don't know enough about the company to say like what the direction is is what do they do where is the we take over a certain critical piece that people won't want to rip us out for right mm-hmm. like in your case like with ProfitWell, you kind of have a similar situation where can i go build all the stuff you're doing myself the answer is yes in order to make me money, because I have to give you money when I make money, which is really elegant business model, obviously. Right. Just yeah. like with main street, you, they make money when you save money. It's like really clean. The problem comes in when that number gets so high that the switching costs and the time will, that you, some companies will be willing to spend time and money to yep. change. Right. Because somebody looks at the PNL and it's like, why are we paying this company so much money? every month. And you need that justification when someone comes to leadership or whoever, the champion comes and is challenged with that. You need something. I'm sure you folks have thought about this and you have things in your business that you know. some of them I know about, some of them I don't. But at the end of the day, you're trying to provide more and more value in order for that conversation to be a no-brainer of keeping your tool. That's the main street problem, in my opinion, and that's a problem you have too.
0: Yeah. Normally the answer to that is inject complexity and hope that that complexity is real, because uh, that's that's the other thing. So let's take metrics, for example, because I, I can't speak. Well, I can speak to you about the retained stuff, but we're not quite ready to make some of that public yet. But cool. for metrics, for instance, um, let's just say we have a growth dashboard, right? Just shows you your growth day over day, um, tracks it over a month. You can add different months, look at new growth versus or new customer growth versus ex- existing customer growth if we just had that, so that was like the first dashboard that we or dashboard we basically released. You start to look at that and go, okay, yeah, I can build this. All right, let me spin that up a couple of SQL queries, whatever. But then when you add, okay, here's this MRR breakdown, here's the cohort breakdown, here's the churn breakdown, here's this breakdown, here's segmentation, here's benchmarks on top of that. Here's all, all of a sudden you get to a point where it's like, yeah, we could, but do we want to, right? Like, do we want to take all that time and, and, Profile is free, so it's one of those things where it's a little bit easier to to kind of take on. But it's like, I think that's a big thing to kind of think through is when you start to add that complexity and you start to get that full-featured look, what ends up happening is you run into a situation where it's like, oh, theoretically, all these things aren't necessarily complex, but two plus two equals six now because it feels like it's so full-featured. And if you add some complexity in terms of like some of those layers being actually really difficult to build, like you can't build benchmarks because we have access to all the data. So you're not gonna be able to build your own benchmarks, basically. That ends up like running into a world where it actually makes a ton of sense to to not build it. So I think that's, that's what a lot of people should be doing in these types of situations. And if you look at like Rippling, um, that's where I think Main Street could go. I think there's something where they could go in like that direction because all of a sudden there's more complexity um, and they already start having kind of the cost data, the personnel data, these types of things. And, and maybe it's not quite rippling because that's a really complicated business or it gets complicated quickly, but there's some things that they could add there. I think pipe is complex enough and vendor there's enough of a black box that it's like, well, I already have a procurement team. They must be just better at this. So let's just let them do it. And I think the black box appears to have complexity when maybe there isn't that much back there.
1: Yeah, I, I just look at it like in a really simple way, value added features that if that someone would be disappointed if they got ripped out right? That's like one similar category. It's just value added, such value that you wouldn't want to rip it out. You're willing to pay whatever the cost is of that service because again, like you said, you can't replace it. So I, I I try to go for like, what is it that you can add that you, they cannot replace that still revolves yeah. around that core? One thing with Main Street is I don't know what revolves around the core of tax credits that they can replace without getting way far off from what they do right now. Mm. And And I think they obviously have plans to add more ways to save which is the obvious one but that still hits the same issue that that i'm thinking about and then you get into like this whole procurement thing with vendor i i actually think that they are your procurement team and you should use them before you hire a procurement team when you're entertaining trying to hire a procurement team and you know like the larger a company gets the more more they're excited about saving on headcount and not yeah. having to add the headcount and replacing it with service as a software yeah right and and then that's not exactly where Main Street sits because it's just not that big enough of a thing. From a dollar standpoint, it is. but from a actual like doing the work standpoint, it's actually not tremendous amounts of work with the right tax person who you can just pay a lot less yeah. than Main Street. And those expertise that expertise is around. It's not not around. um and it's not hard, to be honest. They make it out to be hard, and they can say it's hard, but for someone focused on it for a week, you'll figure out how to do that stuff. and And again, like, Impressed by the growth in the business, I totally get why. But yeah. the moat is where I would challenge like the opportunity over there in particular.
0: Yeah, Pipe and Vendor have such a beautiful like data play at some point. Like, There's just some sort of data that comes into play there that makes it a little easier for them to create that moat. Like, the products they could come out with, both on Pipe and Vendor, um, get super interesting and get them beyond the service play as well. So yeah, something to think about you want to talk about the acquisitions that happened? Yeah. Let's start with the one that I think you'll have the least hot takes on. And then we'll go to the one that I think you have some aggressive hot takes, just given our past conversations. (laughs) So the first one, I think, you know, the the one, I think you'll have less hot takes, Okta acquiring off zero. What's your take there? What do you think?
1: I actually have more hot takes on that one. Oh, Um,
0: okay. We'll start. We'll start there anyway.
1: But no, it doesn't matter. I got hot takes on both of them. It's a matter of like, what do we want to share? Uh, but I, that's my problem. Uh, let's just start with Okta though. So okay. So, so this is the news. I'd love your take too, because you play with the subscription side a lot um, and things like how do you expand a portfolio of product? And so Okta announced that they are in a, what do they call it? A definitive agreement. Is that what they call it? Yeah. They signed a definitive agreement to acquire Ot 0 for 6 Point five billion. Dollars. That's the wild
0: that's the wild 6.5 of
1: this. 5 billion and i'm gonna go look up octa's market cap in real time right now it's all stock deal from what i've read um mm. their market cap is only 28 billion yeah it's wild only 28 billion i'll say it again only 28 <laughs> billion and they're giving up six and a half of that which is basically 30%, if I'm not mistaken on how the math and all the economics were, of the company. So they're giving up a third of the company, roughly, a little bit less, let's say 25%. No, no, sorry, 20%, 20%. Let's say 20%-ish of the company in order to acquire this other company. And I think the other company is at 200 million run rate. Is that right? Yeah. 200 million. Trajectory is 200 million. Over 200 million in fiscal year 2022, so this year, basically. $200 million run rate let's just say six and a half billion dollar acquisition. That basically means that company could have gone public. So they were preventing that company from going public by buying this thing.
0: Which means you always pay a heavier multiple.
1: That's my theory. And why? That's my question. What's your take? Okta was and is a product loved by IT Mm -hmm. or loved and hated, to be honest and frank. I've talked to a lot of IT people about lots of products lately. And Auth0 is the opposite. But for developers, they love it. It saves them a lot of time and effort. At FYI, we integrate with 24 tools. Honestly, I'm gonna say this very directly. Thankfully, we don't use Auth0, <laughs> but it's not because there's anything wrong with Auth0. We just have 24 deep integrations we have to do. And, and, yeah. and so we could never use Auth0, MuleSoft, any of these things, even Zapier. Like all these things are like shallow, shallow level integrations. But everyone needs to integrate SSO and, you know, no matter what type of company it is. So what I love is there's a pattern in software, and I'm dying to hear what you have to say about it, where a company is focused on with one utility, one feature, one product, one category on like, let's say, uh, B2B or enterprise, right? Uh, And then with the same product, they go focus on what many are calling consumer. And in the case of dev platforms or dev tools, which kind of cybersecurity dev tools is where Auth0 and Okta play really strongly, you're seeing this now. And I think Okta and Auth0 being together, Auth0 solves for the consumer side of authentication, while historically octa for the employee side of authentication and they call it identity and there's identity cloud they're trying to build and say yeah. that there's an identity cloud because salesforce decided to do call everything cloud so now everything's a cloud so it's yeah. all good but like now there's identity cloud apparently that's what i see i'll give one more kind of reason why i think like this uh is qualtrics and mm-hmm. even service now but let's go to qualtrics real quick they started with customer surveys if i'm not mistaken Yep. So market research, things like that. And now they have employee surveys, which is the other side of it. So it's like almost like consumer and enterprise or B2B, B2C and B2B, loosely speaking, you kind of add that into your portfolio over time if you have the opportunity and that's how you expand your TAM.
0: I think that's right. Here's here's the thing. I think the thing that we're missing is Microsoft. Here's what I mean by that. And let me like ramble through this for a second. Everyone misses like these giant juggernauts in the market, right? Like everyone wants to talk about like Canva, but like hey, by the way, like Google has more people creating presentations than like Canva gets, you know, in 3 years of presentations. They get that like every single day, right? Like there's a lot of these things that end up happening. And when you think of identity, Microsoft has a lot of this enterprise like stuff locked up. And I think that while you're completely right in expanding that like target base i think that's 100% on and one is kind of like a hedge of the other cuz is kind of like the come up and octus kind of already like established like you're riding these waves right and that's where it's like it's interesting when we've talked about like the document creation space i actually think part of the strategy should be we're just going to buy the up and coming one that's going to come at us in 3 years like just every single time you just buy the one that comes at you in these certain markets where like stuff comes one after the other. But I think that the thing is, is like, Okta can't get out of like Microsoft's shadow for the whole concept of this whole identity cloud or whatever they're trying to put together.
1: Active active directory, really. The funny thing is like, uh, uh, in, in Microsoft's own marketplace, Okta's active directory equivalent ranks higher, rates higher, people like it better.
0: That's which totally is, fine, but it's not distributed to your point. as far. It,
1: it, it, it's yeah. to your point though. It's to your point. It's playing to your point, right? It's the yeah. same as like why Salesforce and Slack had to join up because everyone, I think your point is everyone's going after Microsoft at the end of the day, because Microsoft yeah. has it.
0: Salesforce is, they can't even get to Microsoft level, right? Like, and I think no. that that's, that's where when you look at like Microsoft, Adobe, Google, like the reason Adobe is so scary is because Adobe has just this deep bench that a lot of people don't give them credit for when it comes to e-commerce, when it comes to marketing software, when it comes to sales software. And so I think Microsoft is the big scary thing for Okta and they just, they don't have time to get their, like, you know, to get nitpicked from behind by a big jugger, like a big, truly, not just as big, but like a truly big competitor in Auth0 that's getting them not only from the bottom, but also coming at them from the top as you know, kind of the market paradigm shifts a bit. So I think Microsoft is the big reason this has to happen. And I know Okta's is getting hit on the street for like, well, why are you doing this? Um, it's like a quarter or a third of your market cap, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, they don't have a choice. Like they, they don't have a choice. Slack didn't have a choice because Slack wasn't going to grow. Like Slack wasn't going to keep going. Um, Independently. Yep. They didn't, yeah, it just wasn't going to happen inside, inside Salesforce, it can grow crazily. The one company that's been able to figure this out has been HubSpot. Like HubSpot, this, this is what's really interesting about HubSpot is like HubSpot is going after, you know, Salesforce, et cetera, but they don't have like a Microsoft over the whole market they have Salesforce over the whole market. And, and the distance between HubSpot and Salesforce, you know, it's it's $20 billion in annual revenue still, but like it's it's much closer than the distance between an Okta or a Salesforce and Microsoft. So I think that's the thing that people have to think about. That's why there's all this like craziness that happens at this part of the market because you still have like the giant multi-decade company in the market.
1: We're, we're just seeing software strategists we're seeing like strategy kings, if you want to call it that. Even even yeah. Octa's even Octa's move. Like we'll see how it plays out. But that's some killer strategy. That one might be more more non obvious than others, but or, or more obvious than others actually. But like it, it, you're talking about strategy. I mean, when I when you say HubSpot, I'm like yeah, strategy kings. Like. Today's software yeah. strategy kings, if I were to pick a company, say HubSpot takes the cake. The only one I would add on is Atlassian. I, I would say yeah. that they 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 are, whether it's the quiet ones or whatever, like they played to your the strategy you described extremely well that Okta is playing to as well, but at a much smaller scale. So what if yeah. Okta actually bought odd 0 when it was a billion dollar purchase? Because I'm sure that could have been done. That would have been the
0: smart move, but at the end of the day, like they're talking about, hey, I'm trying to get to 50 billion. I spent an extra five totally. to get to 50. Yeah, <laughs> the markets, right? are, big. Like, the markets are big.
1: The markets are big. The markets are big. That's why none of these are digs. It's just really interesting. Totally. I, will that's say, what... I will say, which might dovetail us, uh, which is um, auth Zero's product is much more pleasant to use from an API standpoint than Octo's. does, hands down. Of
0: course it was. It's built not for the Fortune 2000, and it was built that's right. like five years after <laughs> like octobus. yeah so like but that's that's but the, here's the, the waves thing. right like
1: no but i i want to believe you i want to agree with you but i completely disagree and and i'll bring nice. up hubspot and atlassian again it is a misjudgment by the founders at octa for not making their product better the second they saw odd zero and the traction that those things had this is a problem like like think about hubspot they saw this problem and solved it. And we have talked about this before a few times with Performable and the purchase. They just saw it early. I don't think Okta believes their product sucked as much as the market has said their product sucked. That's what IT people say.
0: I think it's a prioritization problem. And maybe not Fair. Even a problem. It's a prioritization trade-off. Fair. Okta, those resources, like it, it's, it's not a zero-sum game, but in some ways it is zero-sum. They were like, we need to build all this enterprisey stuff. And auth zero was like, we're not gonna do that. We're gonna try to this bottoms up approach. But even auth zero got pulled like into, into the upper parts of the market. So like I don't I think it's just a prioritization problem. It's just they didn't have a product person who went back, like circled back.
1: I, 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 I would not I would not assume that enterprise products need to be crappy. Oh, I I'm not and, saying and I think that. I think I think I think that's the problem in the market today, which is people believe you go up. And then you have a prioritization problem on product. And then, like you said, you don't clean up the product. So I think part of the purchase here and what I want to see happen personally is Auth0 start shaping the DNA of the product team at Okta. Influencing Okta.
0: Yeah, Yeah, shaping, I I would say. Not
1: even influence. I think even to a more extreme. And I'm wondering if that's part of the play. Because if that is, then I think Okta's forecast, so to speak, could be even better. But I think it's
0: It's a little too late.
1: I kind of agree with you because I'm speaking from not my opinion, but what customers of Okta are saying.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. And They're
1: saying they're just got, it's a double edged sword. It has everything I need, but it's terrible to work with on many different levels. Even the SaaS companies I talk to say the same thing. And I got to give a shout out to work OS because work OS is actually S trying is to some
0: great stuff. Yeah.
1: They are doing some amazing API first stuff for enterprise readiness, which I believe Okta should have been doing. And yeah. to me, like, I would be trying to make a move and buy work OS if I were Okta. Because right be a now it's cheaper just, now just, than just just knock out it out. Just knock it out. It's still identity, it's API driven. It's like a good like cherry on top of the six and a half billion with uh with uh you know. Here's um, something I think zero. that it's a
0: little bit of a counter counter to what you just said. There's a company I can't tell you, I can tell you when we stop recording because they're a partner, so I don't want to talk yep. crap about them. But sure. Another one I can probably speak publicly about, because they're not a partner, is like Workday, right? Yeah. You look at like this company um, and Workday, and I'm sure there's some others out there. The day-to-day user of that product, let's say a non-technical day-to-day user, NPS is high, very high, right? Like probably not like 70 high, but let's say it's like 30 to 50, right? For an yep. enterprise piece of software, it's not bad. They're engineering teams that have to implement or deal with that product, negative 30, negative 50, right? So I yeah. think that, like, that's obviously identity is is more of a dev oriented product, so dev influences that a little bit more. But, like, I think that there's companies like Atlassian who just have this DNA, and I think HubSpot has this DNA, where it wasn't, like, a debate, like, hey, should we always be refactoring, like, our design and our visuals and these types of things? Like, it wasn't a debate, Right. I think Qualtrics, they they've always appreciated those things and they, they traded off those things for early like growth and now they've like re gone and redone everything. I don't know. Well, they, I, also I just bought, think it,
1: they also bought Delighted, yeah. which had better user experience than Qualtrics by far. I don't,
0: but that was but that was this is where it's like I think it's I it was too small. late. Like I don't think Delighted That's interesting. Like, is running the product team. I don't think authenticity no, no, right. running the product team, right? So like I think that's too like, we'll performable. It was yeah. a situation where admit HubSpot has admitted product was in disarray and they were just like, hey, DC, Christopher O'Donnell, Elias, do what you gotta do. <laughs> like just take it over. I think off zero, they're gonna yeah. run it separately right now. And I just don't think it's just not gonna be I, I don't know. I, I think it's the right move. It's just it's probably gonna be still nice, enterprisey classic you know playbooks to get to that 50 billion which i don't think is a bad thing but it'll be interesting to see i don't know we'll see i think we're we're like talking right past each other about the same thing but it's it's a it'll be interesting what do you think of our other acquisition that happened dropbox acquiring DocSend. the reason i thought you'd have more hot takes is because dropbox is like all over the place and i i i feel like this is a little not quite on an all over the place move but it's closer to an all over the place move for for dropbox still
1: they bought HelloSign for about 200 million, 230, 215, something like that, 220. Uh, they bought DocSend for 165. I, I, I'm going to go check their market cap real quick because uh, I think the market cap always tells a lot of the story. So, yeah, it's, it's right hovering around 10 billion. It's been hovering around 10 billion for quite a long time. They're not buying stock price movers one way or another, right? They're just not, right? They're, they're spending a little bit of cash. Not a lot of cash on these moves. So they spent less than half a billion on these two at least. I look at it a little bit of a different way on on this one where it's like, it's predictable at this point that Dropbox will buy things that are comfortable for them to buy. So I think HelloSign was comfortable. DocSend is comfortable. Comfortable meaning founders that probably are friendly as far as we know, as far as what's out there. They're comfortable. It brings in a bunch of fresh DNA to Dropbox just mm. to see what kind of they do with, the opportunities with some of the Dropbox engine that's created with the customers and the upsells and the and, and the sales team, which is not too shabby, I would say by any means. And so they're giving their sales team more to sell very much like what Okta is doing with odd zero, but there's a bunch of other reasons why that one makes more sense. So it's almost like they're trying to build a constellation. But if you think about Dropbox, they've always been trying to do that. The small acquisitions they made when they were much smaller were all oriented around a similar thesis or a similar mentality, at least when I look from the outside. So I don't have any hot takes on this one. I think it's Dropbox doing what we would expect Dropbox to do, which is buy some small things like they always have. And these small things I would say are good deals for them. That's the way I look at this, it's a good deal. Now, it's a better deal, it's a great deal, if they can capitalize on it and accelerate revenue on both those businesses. And I haven't dug in enough to understand whether revenue has accelerated for HelloSign or revenue is, really ex- is going to accelerate for DocSend as a result of the acquisition. I find the acquisition a little surprising in the sense of you can already basically do a lot of the, in some ways even better, uh, a lot of the things DocSend does with Dropbox. Like Dropbox actually has watermarks. I don't know if DocSend does. Um, Mm -hmm. And they have watermarks on PDFs and they spent some energy on building that out because I get a lot of watermarked PDFs, not from startups, but mostly from like investment opportunities that are like later stage or private equity related stuff. Um, And -hmm. Dropbox shows up and they love Dropbox. It does the automatic watermarking and things like that. So I I think about even all the way down to the features and like, do they need it? Yeah, you know, DocSend has 17,000 customers. They're a bottom-up business. They're used a lot by startups. It's interesting. I just don't see the clear anything there except the constellation strategy that Dropbox has continued to use.
0: I think they're running into what I think front is going to run into. I think that drift is probably going to run into this given the timelines they probably want. And it's just, it's not the whole like, Oh, this is a feature because those products have so much more depth. I think it's just more of like, if I take a step back and I'm in the market, I don't know where to put you. Like and that's such a weird thing like to build a business around and I just don't think you should but it's like it, it's just this this tragedy of success of like I don't know where to put you like you you're definitely the top of the heap here I guess Box is a little bit different but Box like really rode that enterprise side so people were like I don't know where to put you but you're like enterprise like something so like we'll put you over here and you're similar I guess to like Microsoft right. And and you know even Google Drive right, which is not like Dropbox has a better claim to that than than either than Box, but it's just an interesting thing. And so I think that when you're in that position, you have to run the constellation strategy. And I think it's oh these are seventeen thousand people that we can cross and upsell. I don't know enough about Dropbox's DNA to know like if they're gonna like execute on that. If they were more, if it was Box, I'd be like great. Box is gonna like throw this at their sales team, get the SKUs going all this other stuff but like there's there's a world where Dropbox turns this into all the documents for work or something like that but then it's like i don't know you're not i don't know if you're going to build like a Google Slides competitor it just doesn't feel right so i, I don't know it's just interesting I, I just think it's they don't know where to put them so like you have to run the constellation strategy
1: i don't think it's bad to think about what your public market category is going to be when you start mm. pretty early because you have to have a direction to get to one of those if you're a venture-backed business and want to go public or need to go public because of just what you've done. And so Constellation would work if you have a narrative that bundles it together and fits in. One thing also that I think people have realized and and folks like Box understand, maybe somewhat, if not a lot better than Dropbox, is it's one brand, one cohesive Mm. brand. And unless you're going after a completely different audience, I don't think that's the case with HelloSign... And Dachshund, where they're going after a completely different audience, but Dropbox continue has continued to flirt with these things. Like they had Mailbox that they bought, that I think was a brilliant play to buy, but then they shuttered it. Put those people on Photos. They've tried like separate apps. They've tried things with the Dropbox brand, like Dropbox Paper, and now they have this family of brands constellation, whatever you want to call it. Strategy that that at least from the outside it looks like that. We all know like it's unclear what Dropbox is. It's much more clear what Box is. Frankly speaking, while I think you, you cannot create a new public market category, autonomous vehicles, uh, electric cars, it's still cars, it's still automotive, right? It still works. Subcategories, I think it's very yeah. difficult. There is no real collaboration, productivity, strong category, except Microsoft, straight up. And Microsoft is a category in itself, if you think about it like that. And we're just chopping off all kinds of pieces of, of Microsoft, but they're the winner. They won. Like they're in that category. There's Asana, and there's you know a bunch of other public companies, of course, that are in the category, but it's not like clear, cohesive. This is the category. Analysts look at it that way, etc. And the company the co- some of these companies just haven't played to that, and I think they need to. That, that would be my take. And I think Box is doing the best job of these, even though market cap super low. It's like almost four billion. Although it's like 800 million in revenue, et cetera, like it's strong. It's just unclear what's going on with the markets.
0: This is the type of stuff that I just find so dumb. Like I know it's not dumb. I just find it so dumb. Like I just find it like, I don't know. I shouldn't, I don't mean it's actually dumb. I just mean it's more, look at HubSpot. Like HubSpot has to worry about an analyst who are like, well, look at Shopify. Shopify has half their revenue coming from, you know, taking a cut of the revenue of their customers. Like, What is your strategy on that? Like people ask them those questions, and it's like, oh, well, now we have to pivot into e-commerce somehow. Not e-commerce. No, but but they have an answer. No, but they have an answer.
1: No, no, but but they actually have an answer, and now they have an answer. And no, no, but they have an answer, Patrick. I get it. I get they have an
0: answer. But what I'm trying to say is, is like some of these things, they're it's the market pushing things in the right direction. I would argue because. Hey, this is the next echelon. The next echelon is this. The next echelon is that. And other some of these things it's like this is just us trying to shape our company around something that's going to bring us more fairy dust. And yes, we need more fairy dust in order to build more things, but like this doesn't necessarily make sense. And and I would argue most of them are pushing companies in the right direction, but like this is also where you get oh, we need an AI strategy. And everyone's like has an AI strategy for 12 months and then we move on to the next thing. It's just it's just an interesting interesting thing where it's like some of it's good, but a lot of
1: it ends up being like bad, at least in my opinion. Yeah. But HubSpot actually has an answer. We don't no, need know. to do that. I know. I, don't know. I love HubSpot. no, I know you do. But what, what I mean is they have an answer and the answer is simple. We are like Salesforce. Salesforce does not take a cut of revenue. Neither do we. That's funny
0: because they still get hounded for it. Like they still get hounded for it by analysts. I think there's a lot of people who don't understand the businesses who have sway because of the finance market, and this is how it should be, and they provide friction. I mean, it's it's like you have this relationship so, between an investor and the product, and all these other things, and they have these conversations. It's just it's just a really interesting. Like, I'm just I'm just having a, a derivative thought about. Oh, it's just a really interesting world, and like how people. So think about so these so things. it's
1: it's basically tech being compared to tech without any context. Yeah, it's just interesting. for enough context. Yeah. No, it's super interesting.
0: And I think Dropbox I runs agree. into this, which is like, I think Dropbox has an identity crisis in general, but it's like, oh, they don't have a category, but a lot of people love them and a lot of people pay them.
1: Yep. Okay. A lot of money.
0: Like, what are we doing? Like, why Why? Why is that a problem, right? Well, we don't see the path to them becoming Microsoft. And it's like, okay, well, that's interesting. Do they want to become Microsoft? Um, they probably should, just given where they are. And maybe their, their context would change, but it's just, it's just an interesting world. That's my end of day rant no it's good i like it
1: i've reached the
0: it's good i've reached the existential good. like part of the day where you're just like what does anything even mean like that's basically where i'm at
1: i think that's a good way to end it it was we're definitely end it a lot of we should end it there i don't think there's anything more that we need to say here we're just gonna end it there you dropped it <sighs> just like i've reached the end of the crisis. day there's, yeah it is though it is you're right like these acquisitions are existential crises for these companies like octa boom existential yeah. crisis got to pay six and a half billion to solve it uh dropbox got to keep buying these small things every time they show up right like i'm sure drop uh what is it Docsend was like we're gonna go raise money or we're just gonna go sell it to dropbox you know like yeah. like it's pretty simple when you think of it like that well odd zero is like we're gonna go public or,
0: or you have to buy us. you know we're
1: friendly with you what do you want to do right there's a price let's figure out a price yeah. right what's it worth to you um, if fascinating moves and like, I think we're seeing an acceleration of those types of moves yeah. again, which is MA. and the why is questionable, right? We'll see if this pattern continues, but there is an MA action again. That's the, one of the most interesting things Then even more so than the funding action, which is, is this a, is this going to result in more SAS MA?
0: Mm.
1: because we're just starting to see this pickup. While companies are valued pretty high in the public markets. Like Dropbox is back to a 10 billion plus market cap is one way to think about it. Yeah. Because they definitely dipped, right? Um yeah, so I think that was a great way to end it.
0: I think it's it reminds me of those memes going around where people are like, so and so will start a a fashion brand instead of going to therapy. Like it's almost like some of oh, these yeah. Yeah, some yeah. of these companies are like. So and so will buy a a company for 150 million dollars rather than figuring out their product category. Like it's just kind of like a interesting, interesting play on words, I guess. That that makes me think. Anyways, um, I'm gonna get some sleep. Probably go do a workout so that I don't have a complete existential meltdown. I guess. But uh, yeah, anything <laughs> else you wanted to use to uh, to wrap up?
1: Not nah, dude. We said a lot today.
0: All right, about y'all. a lot of well, things. We'll s- we said yeah. a, lot of, a lot about a lot of things, and hopefully, it was a lot of useful things. But uh, hopefully, everybody, we'll see you next week. Appreciate you all. Be well. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left a five star review of this podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen or watch. Also, make sure to subscribe to and tell your friends about trade offs a podcast from ProfitWell Recur, the largest, fastest-growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions.